Okay, thank you so much. Um, morning, church. Good morning. So nice to be with you today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, yes, my name is Fiona. Some po- co- people call me Fee. Um, some people call me Fifi. Um, yeah, only a few people are allowed to call me that. Um, but if you don't know me, um, if you're kind of trying to figure out my accent, just to say that I'm originally from Scotland, but I've lived in London for a couple of years now. So my accent... Just bear with me, okay? Um, And I've been coming to St. John's for just under two years, joined in lockdown, and it's been such a pleasure to be part of this community um, during that time. So thank you so much for making me feel so welcome and part of this community. Um, Yep, so this is continuing our Summer Sam series where we're pausing, reflecting, and pondering a number of different Sams throughout the summer period. And it's a chance for us to shift our perspective and perhaps see God from different angles. And we see the Psalms venture across uneven, messy terrain. They cross through human emotion and experience, thanksgiving, deep lament, worship, silence, anger. And they're always trying to point somehow towards God. And last week we heard from Besede on Psalm 71 about the power of hope that can come from God and how we can build upon God's legacy. Today I want to dig into Psalm 19 that Renata read for us. Yes, Renata. (laughs) And I want to get curious about what God could be saying to us in relation to refreshment today. What transformation does God have for each of us? How can we grow more like Jesus through pondering the words of Psalm 19? But before we do that, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much for um, the chance we have this summer to look at Psalms, poetry, songs that were written um, that express something of our human experience. And thank you um, for this particular Psalm today. I pray that you would take all the things that I'm saying and somehow mold them into something helpful. Um, And I pray particularly that there would be something that maybe speaks to us today through your word. Amen. Okay, so I have to say that when Graham asked me to speak on one of my favorite Psalms, I was a bit flummoxed. How do you choose from quite a lot of varied mix of poems and songs that offer up so many thoughts feelings, ideas, viewpoints. But with this in mind, actually I was just saying to Jessica before the service, I thought, okay, let's just choose Psalm 19. It's all about nature and I like what it says about that. I thought this is a safe Psalm, easy to latch on to. It'll be easy to chat about some lovely nature things to everyone at St. John's. Just basically, I thought I'll just do a little creation talk and that's it. And if you know me, you'll know that I really like nature. I really like getting outside, while swimming, climbing hills. Basically, I have an affinity with just being outside. And particularly in the last week where it's been so hot, I've been trying to get outside as much as possible. So I thought, okay, I'll just preach on how God uses creation to express some some glory. Bish, bash, bosh, done. But this is what, God just got a sense of humor, hasn't he? (laughs) As I sat with this psalm a little while longer, I started to get this growing sense that although I could preach on that today, God might be nudging me in a slightly different direction. So that sermon on nature can be held for another day and another time, and maybe can be done by someone else, one of you lovely people. 
So to caveat, all that I'm about to say, what we pull out today from this psalm might not be revolutionary to you, but my hope and prayer is that there'll be something holy in the reminders it offers us today, that it would draw us back closer into relationship with Jesus, who says that he can give living water, refreshing us in ways that we can't always comprehend. So before we dive deep, I want us to get a sense of the story that this psalm is telling us, the journey that it's taking us on, because there's quite a lot going on in this psalm. What Psalm 19 points to are the ways that God is revealed to us and how we can understand and relate to God through nature, the word, and experience. In verses 1 to 6, the psalmist, David, gives expression to how much creation speaks of God without saying anything. The heavens declare the glory of God. They have no speech. They use no words. By simply existing, nature points us towards and reveals the goodness of God. And then in verses 7 to 11, this middle section, there is an emphasis on God being revealed to us through Scripture, through commandments, through words. God's decrees are described as gold and honey. There is a power and sweetness that lingers here from God revealing themselves through Scripture. And finally, in that final section, verses 12 to 14, they demonstrate that God is understood deep down in our souls through us experiencing something of love and grace. It builds holiness and confidence. Forgive my hidden faults, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As Walter Brueggemann, a theologian, puts it, Psalms like this one, Psalm 19, bespeak a health oriented life that is anticipated, even if it's not yet experienced. So with all this in mind, I'm maybe thinking, what's Fiona going to talk about today? Well, I want to hone in today on that middle section of the psalm, particularly verses seven to eight and God's word, its power to transform our souls, our minds, our hearts, and our eyes. Scripture can be used by God to reconcile all parts of us to the loving presence of Jesus. What I like about this middle section is its cause and effect, its subject and impact, its call to attention and the inevitable response. God's word, according to David, is not something out there or external to ourselves that we just simply notice, read and listen to. It's something that can be life-giving and that works its way to our innermost vulnerable spaces. But firstly, I want to think about what is David definitely not saying here? He's not saying that God's words, God's decrees, commands are second-rate, dishonest, unjust, gloomy, a bit boring. Some of those perceptions we sometimes have, right? Nor does this psalm say that scripture is to be used as a weapon or rule book to inflict pain on others. So even though today we are talking about God's laws, statutes, commands, I don't want us to misunderstand that these are simply kind of a bunch of rules that we have to follow out of fear or begrudgingly. I firmly believe that the word of God is designed to breathe life into places of darkness. Genesis 1 says that God spoke the earth into being. The suggestion here, God's words have power and create newness of life. 
But what happens when we lose this sense of refreshment, this newness of life we could be receiving from God's word? If you're anything like me, you might become a bit of a blind rule follower, straining rule-focused obedience for the sake of Jesus-centered relationships. We try harder rather than letting God do some of the heavy lifting. And a number of years ago, I experienced this kind of firsthand. Um, It was my first year of university, living away from home, and I had the space sort of to ponder faith for myself in a deeper way. And I found that as I was surrounded by new experiences, new people, uncertainty, I lost sight of my relationship with Jesus. Instead, I prioritized following the rules as I saw them outlined in the Bible really strictly. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with trying to live a life that links in with and is informed by Scripture. But what I did was replace life with rules. And ultimately, when I started to be faced with deeper questions about who God was and why I was trying to live my life that way, I couldn't give answers. My faith simply unraveled in front of me. There was a cause, but its effect was completely lost. A life dictated by simply following rules we read in Scripture is not all that God has for us. He wants deep transformation that comes from us listening to what he says. And thanks be to God, that is not where I'm still at. So I'm still, I'm still here. <laughs> um, but I wonder if any of us can register with that sort of experience that I've just shared, either for themselves or where you've seen that in someone else, where it's the sense of where's the fullness of all that God could have for this person. We've, we've become blind rule followers, just simply following God's commands because that's what we've always done, not letting them impact who we are. And I don't think this is what God wants scripture to be used for or understood or experienced. I think God wants their words to be impacting us from all angles, simultaneously nourishing and challenging us. So we're going to be honing in on a few different parts of this middle section, the soul, the mind, the heart and the eyes. Um, But if you'll bear with me, it's almost like we're doing head, shoulders, knees and toes. I'm going to just get us to do some kind of visual effects, kind of actions, a little bit interactive. And the reason I'm doing that is just getting us to kind of move our bodies, right? I'm not going to get you to stand up and do some yoga, so don't be worried. But um, I've got a bit of a theatre background, so I quite like being able to embody something. So I'd like it if everyone could take a hand or two hands and just put it on your, on your belly button. Amazing. And if you breathe in really deeply and breathe out, you should be feeling that kind of slight breath in and out. And if we were thinking about kind of our soul at first, that's the first thing we're going to hone in on, where, would that, where I'm kind of pointing to at the moment, that's kind of the gut, right? It's, it's kind of that gut feeling, that knowing who we are. So you can keep your hand there for the rest of the time or you can move it, whatever you want. But verse 7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The Hebrew word for soul actually translates as psyche or self. So David here is going straight to the core of who we are. There is no messing around. He's saying that God's law is perfect and its result is refreshment in the deepest parts of ourselves. The commands and words of God in David's time were designed to restore Israel's identity. They were to be a people of peace, grace, 
and obedience. As a people, they were to stand out by paying attention to what God said. They weren't simply meant to adhere to or follow a set of rules. And when they started to do that, things started to go wrong. God designed their commandments so that that Israel could restore what had been broken, both individually and collectively. So ultimately here, in this verse, we're seeing kind of restored identity, who we are and who God calls us to be, paying attention to what God speaks over us. And Jesus says that we are God's children. We are loved. We are known by God. God knows and numbers every single hair on our head. How many of us pay attention to the refreshment that God offers our souls, the very core of who we are? How many of us would say that we have noticed Scripture refreshing us recently? How many of us listen to the words that God whispers to us, that we are loved and seen and that he knows us? And what does it look like today for us to let God's word refresh our souls, our identities, our senses of ourselves? So we've just talked about the soul. And next we're going to be thinking about the mind. So get your head on your, you know, you can do a little, your brain's in there, give it a little knock. Um, And yeah, we're thinking about the mind there, right? Okay, so David shifts the focus from our inner identity to head knowledge. Verse 7 goes on to say that the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. God's laws, words, ideas are not only reliable, but they provoke wisdom. They impact our minds and therefore the decisions we make. David, throughout his life, paid attention to the words of God, be that written or spoken. He trusted what God was saying, seemed to make some sort of holy sense, even if it didn't make worldly sense. Think about his fight with Goliath, or his fleeing from Saul, or his questions and laments. He faced barriers and challenges, sometimes of his own making, but he still wanted his mind and his decisions to be infiltrated by God's wisdom. Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And to me, this seems to be what David is touching on here. Wisdom comes when our minds are changed by God's words. If you're anything like me, thought processing and decision making can be hard and wise thought processing and wise decision making can feel even harder. What we fill our minds with, our minds are full of. How much do we fill our brains with God's words and truths? Be that through scripture or through the words of other Christians we trust around us. And what does it look like for us to pursue a holy wisdom where we let God influence not only our minds, but our decisions as well? So we've gone through the soul, gone through the mind, and now I want you to put your hand on your heart. And just have a little second, just feel that beating. Can you feel that? It's pumping all the blood around your body. It's keeping you alive. I don't know if it's beating quite fast. Maybe it's being fast or slow. But we've looked at the transformation that God's commands and words can have on our souls and our minds. We now turn to look at what God can do to our hearts. Verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. 
Now, for the Israelites, the heart wasn't just viewed simply as a body part, as an organ. They had a much broader understanding of it. Yes, it was something that gave physical life, but it was also the place where someone made sense emotionally of the world. It was a central point of reference where decisions were deeply felt and experienced. The ways of God, according to David, allow joy to settle into that central part of how we experience life. Joy is a gift that is shaped by the understanding that God's words are upright, just, and worth listening to. We can delight in what God has said and continues to say to us. But what do we mean by joy? How do we receive that gift and recognize it in our hearts, that central place where we make sense of the world? Joy that comes from the Spirit is not necessarily a feeling of happiness that is dependent on external factors going our way, nor is joy always something that we can pursue or achieve. To be honest, sometimes in my life, I feel like I need to seek joy. I need to achieve it. I need to seek those experiences that I think will make me feel a joyful feeling, even if it's a bit fleeting. But what David seems to be suggesting here is that joy is a gift that comes from when we are in sync with God's ways. It's making sense of the world in our hearts, experiencing a peace that is not imbalanced by the struggles and pain around us. It is somehow supernaturally maintained, even when we live through sorrow, grief, pain, and anger. Joy is both felt and experienced in those deep parts of who we are. Jesus says in the Gospel of John that in following his paths, his joy will be in us. It's Jesus' joy that we want. It will refresh and restore us, making its gentle way to our central feeling place, our heart. So we focused on the soul, the mind, the heart. And now I want you to just like touch your eyes. Maybe close your eyes and just put a little, put your hands on. It's quite quite relaxing maybe, maybe not. Um, Don't stab yourself in the eye, though. Um, So we thought about the impact that God's words can have on different parts of who we are. I finally want us to think about what it does to the way we view the world through our eyes. Verse 8 says, The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. I don't know what you think about the word radiant, but when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, actually, you know, I use it to describe sunshine or the way someone looks It's a sense of a glow, something shining that we can't quite fully explain or express. According to David, God's ways are bright and gleaming. They offer up light rather than darkness, illumination rather than obscurity. And what effect do God's words have on our eyes? They give light. They show the paths in front of us. They give us a sense of where to move next. They help us to see the world as it is and the world as it could be. They restore our vision and open our eyes to see more of what God wants for us. Jesus says that he is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He illuminates the steps in front of us. His words can transform how we look on the world and our direction of travel. I wonder how much do we let God affect our eyes? How much do we look at the world through a Jesus-shaped lens? How much do we let the light of God affect the way we view the people, the places, the situations in front of us? 
Perhaps today we can take off our sort of metaphorical sunglasses and let, let God's illuminating words and presence have an impact on our eyes. So just before we come into land, I wanted to think about how this Psalm, Psalm 19 that Renata read for us, that speaks about these laws, these statutes, the words of God, links into Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He came to embody the law, the scriptures. Jesus is our marker. He is the word who became flesh. So we could look at Psalm 19 with this in mind. Actually, I'm just going to try it, but, you know, replacing each section with the word Jesus. And it could read something like this. Jesus is perfect, refreshing the soul. Jesus is trustworthy, making wise the simple. Jesus is right, giving joy to the heart. Jesus is radiant, giving light to the eyes. Today, I focused on the possibility that God's word could completely transform our souls, our minds, our hearts, and our eyes. And as we focused on these, I wonder which one might have been standing out to you. Where do you want God's restoration and refreshment? Where do you want God to come, breathe the Holy Spirit, and build a dwelling place within you? How can we look more like Jesus through who we are, that soul, how we think, our minds, how we feel, our hearts, and how we act, our eyes? So as I draw things to a bit of a close, my prayer for all of us today is that we would notice God's words daily and allow them to work their way to our core beyond any one sermon or Sunday service. But um, before we kind of um, have some intercessions, I wondered if I could pray for us. Um, And I wonder if you close your eyes um, and just think about which part you would like to receive some restoration or refreshment today. And maybe if you feel comfortable, you could put that, your hand on that place. The soul, the mind, the heart, the eyes. And I'm going to pray for us just to close. Father, thank you that you give us transformation. Thank you, God, that you work in all parts of who we are. Thank you that you bring about transformation to our identities. You allow us to get a sense of who we are in your sight. Thank you that you give us wisdom, helping us to make decisions. Thank you, God, that you are someone also who wants us to experience that deep joy in the the deepest parts of who we are. And thank you, God, that you do give light to our eyes. You help illuminate the paths in front of us. You help us to figure out what the next steps could be. And I pray today for all of us that we would know some of that deep refreshment, that deep transformation in the parts that we feel are lacking, the places we feel thirsty, where we need life-giving water. And I pray today as we move forward through our service, but also beyond our our gathering today, that you would renew us, strengthen us, and allow us to receive more and more of refreshment. In Jesus' name, amen.